0: Welcome everyone new and loyal listeners from across the globe, this is episode number 100. I've probably been talking now on this podcast all for six to ten thousand minutes and it's been a blast. I've interviewed guests from critical race theorists to a guy known as the ethical drug dealer to a woman who survived having nearly 60% of her body burned to become an acclaimed author and motivational speaker to an ultra marathon running soldier to a former playboy bunny turned Christian Plus all kinds of podcasts during the crazy, and I do mean crazy, election cycle of Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, let alone the insane COVID pandemic lockdowns. I, I don't have all the numbers across all the platforms as, well, I've, I've moved across a couple podcast production sites, but, but I know for certain the downloads are in the tens of thousands across 25 plus countries. So thank you, one and all, for listening in. This, this isn't for me to make money. It really isn't. It's about a, a humanities professor trying to bring content that doesn't get enough attention, in my humble opinion, critical thinking, wisdom literature, deep philosophical analysis, so that we become wiser, maybe a little kinder to each other. Uh, we listen to diverse viewpoints with clarity and not anger. We become more motivated and make better decisions in life and and analyzing along the way some of the greatest writers and thinkers of all time. It's really what this is all about. I actually learn something new every time I produce one of these things is, is I literally Knew nothing about podcasting when I started during this COVID lockdown. Literally nothing. And still to this day, I'm just a one-man show, doing nothing more than grabbing a topic, turning on the microphone, and talking to you. But I have much, much gratitude for everyone who listens in and everyone who contacts me about the episodes, as as all of you are always welcome to contact me directly if you like. I publish my email on the Substack page where the link is is inside the show notes of of where you're listening today. But you know, I believe far too many people listen to the likes of say Tucker Carlson or Rachel Maddow or CNN or Fox News, these squawking heads and and, and don't pay enough attention to real thought leaders, the real thinkers, the real intellectuals. You can't get can't get that stuff in 30-second segments of a of a 1-hour TV show where you got 20 minutes of commercials on there but you know if we read about these amazing thinkers and if we listen and and we think about and analyze and evaluate the greatest minds and greatest ideas we meaning you and I we in turn we elevate ourselves intellectually we will navigate these dangerous waters of the world that we live more effectively Uh, we'll make better choices We will not get obsessively angry or nervous or anxious at all things all the time like we see out there because, well, because we won't get swayed by simpleton, binary, either or ideological silliness and just that loud mouth screaming and yelling from the media or politicians. Well, anyway, that's my hope. That's my belief when I started this thing and why I continue it. But thank you again for being here. Okay, enough, enough. Enough with the pontificating and rambling on about the purpose of this podcast. Let's get to it. We are continuing our march across the genre of wisdom literature in the medieval time period is where we are now. And specifically today, it's all about Saint Augustine. And you might be saying, what in the world does a guy born in North Africa in 354 AD have to do with the American dream? Like I'm headlining in the title of this podcast today, but don't worry. I'm going to connect the dots. I promise. And you're going to be stunned at it. But before we get there today, let's have a little look at our thought leader of discussion for the day, The person I've been reading about this week is named Saint Augustine, and he was a towering figure with an incredible life story. So Saint Augustine. He was born in a Roman city in North Africa, as I mentioned earlier, and he was born into a family that really had quite a bit of money. He was the son of a pagan father and a fervent Christian mother, who eventually converted both her husband and son to Christianity. Right there alone, you can see. That he was exposed at a very early age to, to almost polar opposite life perspectives as a child. He really went through his early schooling without a whole lot of note. He did come He was educated, came from a wealthy family. but then after his his younger years of schooling, he left for Carthage, which was a bustling, cosmopolitan urban center at the time, and it was here that he studied rhetoric which is the art of persuasive reading and writing. We talked about rhetoric versus philosophy way back with Socrates and Aristotle. Uh, but that's where, he, that's where he picked up um, the idea of studying a Latin curriculum of rhetoric. And while he was in this bustling urban center he took up with a concubine and he had a child with her, actually lived with her 14 years before he had to kind of let her go to marry formally to someone else uh, just for status purposes. But uh, it was during this time that he joined a group known as the Manichaeans. And this was a Gnostic group. Now, some of you may be wondering, what in the world do I mean by Gnostic group? Well, a Gnostic group is focused on searching inward to reach personal spiritual knowledge outside of or above the orthodox teachings, the traditions, and the authority of the traditional religious institutions. These people were deeply into the mystical and the divine, but not so much into rigid doctrines like formal teachings, formal rules, formal laws of the traditional Christian or Jewish doctrines, and the social aspect of, you know, you're really a good person if you go to church, or, you know, following these obscure doctrines that just didn't make sense. They didn't, those things they didn't find relevant in reaching a higher level of spirituality. If anything, they probably, they, they saw it as detracting from reaching a higher sp- spiritual level. So the Monarchians were, were dualists and, and they saw life and reality as this really intense struggle between the metaphysical power of light, which was positive and good, versus the physical matter of the universe, which was a dark evil. But as he grew up, as Augustine aged, he grew out of this phase and he eventually renounced those ideas. After his advanced schooling, he eventually became a teacher and he moved to Rome in 383. And he thought, hey, wouldn't it be a great idea to open my own school of rhetoric? I'll teach and I'll own it. But for Augustine, it wasn't received very well. He became very easily annoyed in the writing show this, and very irritated with his students. He was especially vociferous and angry at students who would show up for lessons, but then they wouldn't even pay their full tuition. Sort of appears he probably wasn't the most astute business person, or necessarily very skilled in the administrative marketing act or of, of retaining students. So the school, uh, sadly, was not much of a success. And he ended up taking a much more traditional route into academia. So he gave up his school. He became a professor of rhetoric at the Imperial Court of Milan. A very nice position. Very prestigious position. And you would think at this point, at the height of his academic success, he would be happy and he would be content. I mean, he had money. He had job security, and he had the ability to write and teach without really too much of any external burdens or worries on his life. But it was here that he became afflicted with spiritual restlessness and self-doubt on on what in the world is his purpose for life. I think many people have been there with their careers. I, I surely know I've been there. I mean, those material things, whether it's a job title with prestige or a nice salary or just achieving a certain level of material comfort, those things are nice and they're good. But if it doesn't match your purpose or you feel like you're just not doing the most you can or you're not grinding hard at something like Augustine was at this time, you know, he simply got restless And he started thinking this age-old question. Isn't there anything more to do than this in this thing called life? It was at this time he turned to philosophy. He was hoping to find some new perspective and a way to calm this restlessness in his mind and, and, and his unhappiness. It was here that he turned to Plato. And almost certainly the Neoplatonists, which really focused on offering a comprehensive understanding of the universe and the individual human being's place in the universe. It was perfect for Augustine at this point uh, because he was confused. He was upset, and he just didn't know what he wanted to do with life. He's getting older, and, and he couldn't find his place. But But here's the kicker, and this is the one that changes everything for him. Simultaneously, while he's studying philosophy and the Platonic uh, dialogues and the Neoplatonisty, seeds were being sowed quietly that would alter his life forever. He was going back to his early Christian roots, and he started going to church again. He was listening to sermons at St. Ambrose Cathedral, as the histories say, and especially the Bishop of Milan at the time, who was admired in his own right as as an incredibly powerful orator that was admired deeply for his intellectual sophistication. Just perfect uh, individual to come across and come into the life of Augustine at this time. So in 387 after a very dramatic conversion oh and so i'm i'm sure some of you are curious about his conversion cuz these stories are really amazing sometimes like um like where was he why and how the heck did he have this conversion story so here it is just briefly so the time is is around 386. Augustine and one of his friends were just spending time in Milan. They were outdoors. Uh, we don't know if they're on a walk or at a park or whatever. Uh, but all of a sudden, Augustine hears this voice of a child singing a song. And the words of which were, quote, pick it up and read it. Pick it up and read it, end quote. I mean, not the most catchy of lyrics for a child's tune, but that's what he heard. Uh, he thought at first that the song was related to some kind of a child's game, but you know, he's pondering this in his mind over and over again, and he just simply can't remember ever hearing such a song before. He found this really strange that he would hear those particular words, pick it a, pick it up and read it, pick it up and read it. I mean, it just didn't seem to, just didn't seem to seem strange to him. So he got this idea that maybe. Just maybe, the song might not be a song at all, but somehow a command from God himself. I mean, he had been attending church again, so he decided to open and read the scriptures. So he picked up a Bible, and then what he did is he just randomly opened it to a page, and wondering what this passage might be vowing to read the very first passage that his eyes laid on. And what it was, it was the letter of Paul to the Romans, as the story goes. And Augustine reads, and if you want to look it up, Romans 13, verses 13 and 14 were the first things that he saw. And here's what, here's what that verse says. Quote, Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual excess and lust, not in quarreling and jealousy. Rather, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. End quote. Boy, this just knocked the socks off Augustine because carousing and drunkenness and sexual excess and quarreling and jealousy and lust had become his life since he had strayed from the church. Reading this scripture, Augustine felt as if his heart were flooded with light. He turned totally from his life of sin. He was baptized at St. Ambrose during the Easter Vigil, April 24, 387. His friend that was with him that day when he heard that song and his son were also baptized at the same time. Later, when he was reflecting on this experience, Augustine wrote his famous prayer. And here it is, quote, You have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you, end quote. But this was just the beginning of what would become a powerful influence on the spirituality and theology Of the Christian church. So, after the conversion story, Augustine returns to North Africa. But life surely wasn't easy in North Africa by any stretch, as he suffered two major tragedies. The first one was that his mom died, and then his son died. Especially his son dying had a profound impact on Augustine as his son who he he literally called in his writings and in, in his son's name literally means in English a gift from God. And who he often marveled at that this child had the kindest and the most pure heart of any child he had ever seen. And this knocked him back Completely. Anybody who has a child knows that the death of their child would just is an earth shattering event. And for Augustine, it was no difference. And and so he's at a crossroads at this point after his son's death. And, you know, his response was to give all his material wealth to the poor. And he converted his house into a monastery. This is a side note. We have seen and heard time and again that material wealth is not a gateway to happiness and purpose in life. That wealth just isn't going to get it done. Rather, it is a hindrance, a heavy weight that will prevent someone from reaching their deepest and truest self. Augustine follows along in that tradition. That in the moment of losing someone close to him, incredibly close to him, he goes all in even deeper into Christianity and his faith in God. It's rather amazing. I mean, losing your mom and your cherished son back to back could cause the average person to go literally the other way and make that very common claim. Well, if there is really a God, how in the world could this happen? This was not Augustine. He dove deeper at his darkest moment into Christianity. So, after he gave everything up, committed fully to the church, he became a priest, then ultimately a bishop. He died 35 years after becoming a bishop, just about the time that the Vandals, who were a barbaric invading German tribe, was sacking all of the Roman cities as it's starting to topple down. Uh, Saint Isidro of Sevilla famously said that anyone who claimed to have read all of Augustine was a liar. Because he wrote and wrote and wrote. I mean, Augustine was a prolific writer. He wrote letters. He wrote sermons. He wrote treatises. He wrote philosophies. And he wrote dialogues. His most important works, as we're going to get into here, probably the Confessions which is a fascinating autobiography and to me is most important read. Uh, The City of God, where he defends Christianity and its role in society. These two we're going to talk about here. The Teacher, where he dives into intellectual matters and especially how we think as human beings. And Sheridian, where he discusses human virtues like faith and hope and love. In fact, Augustine wrote so ridiculously prolifically uh, just to string a couple of very long adjectives together for effect and in so many styles and so many formats that it's hard to keep track of his philosophical opinions with his thousands and thousands of pages of documents. But if I would recommend starting anywhere with Augustine, it would probably be his book Confessions. Because in this work, this is where he chronicles his own journey from a wild, crazy life of drinking and debauchery to a religious life. This book has a psychological edge to it and even a poetic flair. And it's, it's written in a very straightforward clarity. Now, now I, I'm going to warn you, it does have a certain, oh, how do I say it, a, a high poetic feel. To it at times that can seem challenging at first, but if you read it and you and you read for a while and you get used to it, it becomes hard to put down. It's it's just a an amazing book. Uh, the plot of the book reaches its climax with Augustine's conversion to Christianity, which I just kind of read summarized the story for you. But to read the whole thing is is really a treat. But uh, with But after after that part of it, the narrative then turns into a lot more of the theological reflections on life. So we've already talked and studied a little bit about the Christian tradition, that it comes out of a fusion of the biblical and the philosophical traditions. The historical texts Of the Judeo-Christian concept of God. They're very complex. But include things like anti-materialistic elements. Which we've also talked a lot about. But Augustine also discusses a biblical change. And this is so important to understanding Augustine. That when God was taken out of the earthly cosmos. And placed above it in heaven above. Augustine's ethical theory is accordingly, incredibly theologically tilted toward this idea. And morality on the primacy of God and the doctrine of original sin is very, very important in the writings of Augustine. We all know... The sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. God says you can eat and go anywhere you want in the entire garden. You have free reign over it all. You don't have to work. Everything's nice. Everything's easy. It's a life of luxury. Uh, there's no sin. Everything's wonderful. But hey, hey, Adam and Eve, you got one thing. Just one thing. There's one tree. You have to leave this one tree alone. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge. Well, of course, humans being the way humans are, and they are always pushing into things that they probably shouldn't, they're never satisfied, and sure enough, with a little extra nudging and temptation by the devil in the form of a serpent, uh... The devil convinces Eve to eat from the tree of knowledge, the only one tree out of all the trees they're not supposed to. And then Eve convinces Adam to take a bite of the fruit too. Thus man is condemned to hardship, toil, pain, and death, and God leaves the earthly plane to live in heaven. So in the end, this leaves all of us, you and I, fallen, imperfect, and there's only one way to be redeemed by the grace of God. So the book of Genesis, the beginnings of it all, are very prominent in the teachings of Augustine. Augustine even implies this theological principle to all our personal relationships. There's actually one point in that book, The Confessions, where Augustine is is grieving for the death of a friend, and and he laments that everything that he used to love has become hateful. He writes because, because it reminds him of loss. But this experience, he reasons, is, quote, just an inevitable consequence that we have of directing our love towards perishing earthly things, end quote. So even when it's a friend or family member that has died, the pain that that you feel, that I feel, it's just an earthly, it's a temporary thing. And if we focus energy here instead of up high On God, according to Augustine, pain will ensue. So, our attachments to fellow human beings and material things can only bring us true happiness if they bring us closer to God. So, get that because it's really important to Augustine that our attachments to people and material things, they only bring us true happiness if they bring us closer to God. If it doesn't bring us closer to God, then it will increase our pain and suffering, and it will distract us from true happiness and from true peace in this world. So, what do I mean here? So, you have a relationship. It's a very, it's a very spiritual person, a very religious person, and that relationship is guiding you closer and closer to God through your conversations, through the advice, through interacting with them. It's bringing you closer to a higher level. That's good. Uh, that relationship, you buy yourself a brand new BMW, eighty five, dollars $90,000 vehicle. It crashes. It burns. You live. That's going to bring you pain and suffering. A BMW will not bring you closer to God. You get the point. But the thinking behind Augustine's argument is very philosophical uh, when you think about it. Augustine rests his argument on the idea that the sensuous world, like in Plato's cave, and if you don't remember, we talked about Plato and the cave in episode number 91. So if you missed it, I strongly encourage you to go back and check it out as Augustine draws on this very platonic idea. But anyway, life in the material world, in the rational world that you and I are engaging right now, I'm talking, you're listening, we're engaging this way. We're having a dialogue in this way. This is part of the conscious, rational world that you and I exist in culture. To, er- to, to Augustine, it's ultimately unsatisfying because it's all a facade. It's literally nothing more than a reflection of the true, immaterial beauty that we find in God. So like Plato, he believes that morality liberates us from our physical desires and attachments and gives us access to this immaterial and this eternal world. We can tap it. You and I can go deeper than where we're at right now talking. We can tap it. If only we will get our heads out of the work a day material world we've been so preconditioned to believe is everything and oh, so very, very important. The psychology of this idea is very powerful. If we choose to love wholly without preconditions and love God completely, according to Augustine, we're not going to experience loss or pain in this world because deaths, setbacks, failures are nothing of significance. They don't matter as if we can learn to understand that there is a power greater and bigger than anything that the material world could ever provide, well, then we're on our way to a higher order of thinking. Buddha does much of the same thing in in, in his meditations. But with Augustine, another excellent book that talks about his philosophies and his ideas and, and his theologies that I would recommend, after you read confessions would be the city of God where Augustine distinguishes between the earthly city and what is a godly city. The earthly city he uses as an example is pagan Rome. It's the greatest example. And and here people live in accordance with their fallen nature. The people rejoice in power and domination. We know that for sure from Rome. Uh, they love the flesh and things of the flesh, uh, to the contempt and the mockery of God. And, and the people are so arrogant that they believe they can establish moral peace through fallible political means of human beings. To Augustine, it's such a lie. I mean, think about it, even in our world. Let, let, let's just say now we have 5,000 years as, as a species of human beings of creating political systems. And we've had everything from dictators to monarchies to socialism to communism to democracy, but have any of them created an honest, moral, and ethical society in perfect proportion? I mean, sure, they're gradations. And for me, and I hope for you too, democracy, where we can all at least have a shot at freedom from a tyrannical, overreaching government, is, is to me the best for sure. But, 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 Augustine would say, no matter what system of politics are put in place, they can never, ever be fully moral, nor can they be just. Why? Because human beings are fallen creatures, and they simply do not have the intellect, the morality, or the discipline to keep the system from ultimately degrading and falling into corruption and evil. Humans. Despite their arrogance that they can figure it all out on their own, can and have created incredible systems. I mean, I'm always amazed reading the writings of the founding fathers in America. And and we're gonna get a get to a point. We're gonna talk about the the Enlightenment. What amazing, amazing mental uh, ideas and and understanding and the scientific and the technology that we that we see but you know when we look at those founding fathers in America which which led to the declaration of independence and eventually our constitution i mean in theory what a beautiful and a balanced system i mean it really was compared to what we'd seen prior to that but it's all in theory look at where the united states has fallen to in 2023 with this very same document in place. My goodness, sometimes it feels like the Democrats and Republicans have trampled all the life out of the out of this amazing constitution with their poisonous political ideologies. But back to Augustine. So so in in the book you can imagine then that the city of God in contrast to pagan Rome or the United States of America if you want to go modern times is a place that glorifies God above everything else. It has contempt for the flesh, does not aim at domination. It loves neighbors and enemies alike. People strive to perform good works and live a life dedicated to God in prayer. The city of God relies on religion for its moral foundations. The earthly city claims to strive for equality and moral code of justice, but come on, let's be real. There, There's shortcomings there. And to no avail, it fails. And it degrades. Pagan Rome, it degraded and fell. And the United States of America, it's just kind of degrading. The crony capitalism, my goodness gracious. The politicians paid, bought and paid for by corporations. And it's starting to appear that even foreign entities are infiltrating these politicians at level that I think it would scare all of us probably to understand it. Don't know any of that for a fact, but I can kind of sort it. We we get little inklings of this now and again. Uh, But the theological point that Augustine makes is that morality can only exist through religion. You simply can't have morality outside of God because humans, due to their fallen nature, remember Genesis, can't come up with anything better than what God has already made. In fact, the real morality and the only morality can come through God. Humans can claim they can do it on our own. We can do this on our own. We don't need a God, but they can't. At least they haven't proven it yet. Augustine is adamant that virtue without God is a manifestation of this word called pride. The worst human sin. Because to Augustine and his teachings, in the end, we are utterly dependent on God. Without God's morality, we're rudderless. Humans shift like the winds from north to south, to east to west, and the humans... We, we get blown around mentally. We grab on to new ideas of the day, then throw others away, then adapt new things that aren't really all that new, but just reincarnations of old stuff repackaged in new marketing materials. In our postmodern world, I mean, just go back and watch a stand-up comedy show from the 80s and 90s. Then imagine that same comic releasing that now in 2023 and how the cancel culture mobs would come out with Hitchforks to attack. Heck, the cancel culture mobs will come out and attack a comedian who said something in the 80s. I mean, human beings, we just on our own, we just go through endless cycles of what is good, what is bad, what is cool, what is not cool, what is acceptable, what is not acceptable. I mean, the wheel of culture never stops. It never stops. You can't base a political system on it. You can't place a code of morality on it. And Augustine just says there is one firm rock, one foundation to a moral and ethical society, and it is God, period. End of story. His evidence? Well, just look around at what happens the more God is removed from the scene, whether it be the Roman Empire or the United States of America. This... View gives us a good sense of one of the strengths of religious fervor that swept through Europe with the Christian conversions and greatly impacted the writings and life of Augustine. You don't necessarily have to agree with them, but this is to give you a flavor of his teachings. So that's Augustine, historically, and, and kind of just summarizing the big book. But for today, I like I always like to do, I like to grab one just short text from the book, and I'm going to take it from Confessions, which is believed he wrote it around 397, maybe all the way to 400. And, and the chapter I want to read to you that is so insanely relevant to our world and our upcoming discussion on the American Dream uh, but in this book, if you choose to read the confessions, I'm looking at book number six. And the title of it is The Beggar. And within this chapter, a very, very famous chapter, I might add. I'm, I'm only going to read just a couple paragraphs is all. And I mean, I could probably talk on this for hours, but I, but I promise I'm not going to do that. But I want to dive very, very deeply into the words here. So let me read it for you once in full so you can take it in carefully but don't worry i'm i'm going to break this down line by line it's my goodness the the words should strike pretty much all of us between the eyes when we analyze it so here it goes quote i was all hot for honors money marriage and suffered most bitter disappointments i was in utter misery and one day I was preparing an oration in praise of the emperor in which I was to utter any number of lies to win the applause of people who knew they were lies. My heart was very much wrought upon by the shame of this. When I noticed a beggar, he was just sitting and laughing, and I, and I imagine more than a little drunk, I fell into gloom and spoke to the friend's who were with me about the endless sorrows that our insanity brings us. For here were we, striving away, and with all of our striving, our one aim was to arrive at some sort of happiness without care. The beggar had already reached the same goal before us, and we might quite well never reach it at all. Let my soul pay no heed to those who would say, it makes a difference what one is happy about. The beggar found joy in his drunkenness. You saw joy and glory. But what glory, Lord? A glory not in you, for my glory was no truer than his joy, and it turned my head even more. Okay, great. I hope I read it slow enough so it has some time to think in. I know as I read such a long text. It can be much to grasp in one lesson, but but I'll come back to it piece by piece. So now that you've heard the text, let me run a real quick sidebar in comparison to the American dream. Then we're going to connect the dots of Augustine to the American dream. So stay with me here. So if you ask most people around the world what they mean by the American dream, nearly all are going to respond with some version of social, upward social mobility. The American success story or the self-made person who through sheer will, hard work, and determination succeeds. I mean, even today in our messed up crazy economy with roaring inflation, housing costs, debilitating student debt, that traditional symbolism, that that traditional idea of of owning a house with the white picket fence and a nice middle class community that suggests economic self-sufficiency, success, and security All these words come to mind. Heck, the the Oxford English Dictionary defines the American dream as, quote, the ideal that every citizen in the United States should have an equal opportunity to achieve success and prosperity through hard work, determination, and initiative. And this, so American concept, which has permeated to the West, that the next generation will exceed the success level on the material front as the prior generation, or they will exceed the educational level of the prior generation, are imperative. But I think all of us would agree that this has been the classic version of the American dream since the early 1900s. But in reading Augustine, is the American dream an illusion? Or even more importantly... Was this dream actually a sinister setup that not only isn't possible, but is actually a lie, an impossibility, that in chasing this thing we set ourselves up for, pain is guaranteed. Yes, we are guaranteed to fail in being happy because, in fact, this is the wrong dream and the wrong kind of happy. Yes, the wrong dream. Completely. Wow, that's quite a proclamation, really. But but let's go back to the passage from St. Augustine and just dissect it, almost line by line. And his advice to you and I. Augustine said, I was all hot for honors, money, marriage, and suffered most bitter disappointments. But why? Why? Why, why are these things so, so, so well overrated to Augustine? So, such guaranteed fails in the eyes of Augustine. I think he would tell you that no matter what, yes, no matter what, if you put your faith and all of your striving into things of this world, they're not going to last. They will rot and they will die and they will not last. In our house, as an example, My wife and I, we eat tons of fresh fruits and vegetables. I mean, we are not 100% whole food purists, but we don't eat very many packaged foods at all. But uh, when we buy produce, we know that it's not going to last for three or four weeks sitting on the counter or in the refrigerator. It's going to start to rot. Likewise, if you invest all of your time, energy, and capital into things often considered quote-unquote getting ahead according to the American dream in our modern world, even when you get them, they won't last and you will be disappointed. You know, it's funny. Lots of us think that our careers, oh, so very, very important. But you know what? The day you leave, the next day, if not before, the company will fill your seat or at least they're going to have the hiring process going. You'll be replaced almost before you're out the door. Sure, you can get degrees and you can get fancy job titles. I mean, I've had both in my life. But although they provide fleeting happiness, they don't last. And yeah, sure, they may even provide lots of money in life, but eventually you die and it'll mean nothing. Again, just try to flash one moment to your deathbed. I know it seems a bit morbid, but hey, humor me. Do it for just one moment. In your last day, in your last hours, do you actually believe Any honors or any money are going to matter to you at that moment? I mean, of course they won't. Those things were fleeting. So Augustine, in his first lines, pretty much discredits immediately a core premise of the American dream. Material wealth is in your grasp. You can get it, and you will get ahead, which will make you happy if only you work hard and long enough. Augustine would argue this premise is wrong because even if you do achieve these things, and many do, they don't really matter. They won't satisfy you if you don't have your mind on right. In essence, don't waste your precious time focusing on things of this world. As they won't last, they're not going to give you happiness. So he continues on. Quote, one day, I was preparing an oration in praise of the emperor in which I was to utter a number of lies to win the applause of people who knew they were lies. My heart was much wrought on the shame of this, end quote. When I first read this, the first thing that came to my mind was, geez, we buy and we do things that we don't need to impress people we don't even know or like in the first place to put up silly appearances. When I think about it, what a silly, pathetic way to live life. This isn't the American dream. It's more like the American nightmare, and there there are huge implications to living our lives this way. First of all, when we live like this, besides just being flat-out dishonest, which disgusted Augustine when he did it, I think it's even worse than that. It's it's a way of living where you're chasing the things of culture desperately, seeking approval. A culture and society and, and trends are vicious, vicious masters. They... They change on a whim. For goodness sake, it's it's sort of selling your soul to the devil to keep up with the Joneses or to live a life so shallow that you're willing to lie and deceive for accolades and praise. We need to look no further than the incessant social media Instagram influencers that they, they're putting forth images to the world that are deceptively happy, beautiful, and successful. Those filters can work great. Those postings can be convincing, but yet, but yet... The seeking of approval on materialistic things, egotistical things, the look at me, look at me, I'm with the cool kids in the in crowd, is just a life-draining exercise. So on the surface, it looks like you're living the dream, but in reality, you're not. You're selling your soul. At least that's what Augustine would tell you. It is at this point in the story that Augustine has his aha moment when he says, quote, When I noticed a beggar, he was jesting and laughing, and I imagined more than a little drunk. I fell into gloom and spoke to friends who were with me about the endless sorrows that our own insanity brings us. For here we are striving away, with, and with all our striving, our one aim was to arrive at some sort of happiness without care. The beggar had already reached the same goal before us. And we might quite well never reach it at all. End quote. Where do I start? Where do I start with this? Because, because, because I, I believe Augustine is telling us all, I, I believe he's, he's not telling us all to, to, to never work, go on government assistance and sit around and be drunk all day. That he was not some hedonistic pleasure seeker by any means. Plus Not working, lounging around, or drinking all day might sound good on the surface, but let's be honest. If you could actually do nothing all day, every day, but sit around drinking and laughing and joking and doing nothing, you would hit a point, probably pretty quickly, where that would be worse hell than doing something. I mean, vacations are always nice, love them, but still... We almost always want to get back home and get back in our routine. Humans, and I've said this before, are a lot like sled dogs. We, We just need something to pull against. Yet, the story is making an illustration of a man striving to climb the ladder, trying to achieve at all costs, trying to reach that elusive happiness through hard work and dedication and discipline. All the things that society taught him, or wait... Maybe taught is too nice. Maybe the word is they have conditioned him to believe, or, or maybe even that's too nice. Maybe the, maybe the word is that society has brainwashed him that he has to do to be happy. Society brainwashed him that happiness and success, they're all achievable work. Strive. Compete. Do it, do what you got to do. And then, and only then, yes, only then will you reach that elusive success and happiness you desire. But yet, here's this drunkard, happy, and enjoying life, having done none of it. Now, obviously, Augustine lived way before the, Ameri- the United States was even a country, and way before the coining of the term the American Dream, which happened roughly around 1935. But still, Augustine realized in this moment of seeing the beggar on the street that, hey, maybe, just maybe, my happiness is not dependent on some preconstructed and preconceived definition that I'm chasing like a rat on a wheel and it's eating up my life. And this guy, this drunk beggar, is way happier than me. Look, 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 you you cannot base your happiness on some human-made concept of success. You cannot base your happiness on acceptance of your life based on your family. Sometimes your family, sadly, could be your worst haters out there, or maybe it's your friends, or, or just people in general. As Augustine is warning you that if you do this, you will not be happy Because the standards and expectations of culture can shift and change on you at any moment. It's better to be like that drunk beggar, content and enjoying each moment of life as best that he can. And if you can do that, and not be some robot that's accepting what society tells you that you must do, it's here that Augustine sees this man with no material wealth, no status, as happy. Maybe what all of us need to do is drop this, this, this illusion that happiness comes in the form of some definition of the American dream and you must follow that path or else you will not be happy or successful. This happens in true medieval wisdom literature text. We end up connecting the dots back to God. As Augustine ends by saying, Quote, let my soul pay no heed to those who would say it makes a difference what one is happy about. The beggar found joy in his drunkenness. You sought joy and glory. But what glory, Lord, a glory not in you? For my glory was no truer than his joy. And it turned that, that he had it even more. Ooh, that's deep. Where do you find joy in your life? Where do you find joy? Of course, on the surface, and the most in-your-face, obvious answer by Augustine is the one and only and best place to find joy, which is God. But but let's apply this a bit further, and break down this picture to its fullest. The beggar was nothing. The beggar with nothing was happy, and he was content. The striving, successful professional was anxiety-riddled, frustrated, and upset. You would naturally assume the opposite to be true, as we are conditioned to believe that professional and material success equates to happiness. And if you're poor, destitute, and lacking material wealth, well, then you are a failure. I mean, let's be honest. If you would have seen on the street the beggar with torn clothes, disheveled hair, drinking and laughing... Side by side with Augustine in his nicely pressed suit looking clean, professional, and well-shaven, you would have clearly said the business-looking professional is happy and the drunkard a pathetic loser. But, but, but Augustine tells us this is a lie. It is a lie that we are brainwashed to believe. Now again, let's not oversimplify things. There is nothing happy or content about not having food or a home or safety But in our lives, what Augustine is trying to tell us is if your happiness is based on material things and trying to please society, you will never, ever be truly happy. On the outside, on the surface, you might look happy and living your best life, but if this is your highest goal the material wealth of the American dream, you will hit a rock-hard ceiling and you will ultimately begin questioning the very meaning of your existence. You will question the, why am I chasing this materialistic American dream? Maybe, just maybe, some of you have already done this. It can't make you happy. That's why so many people become disillusioned with it. So Augustine is imploring you and me, you need more. You need more beyond the simplistic materialism of the world. Augustine would tell you that you need God, but also, I would say, if not God, for goodness sake, don't be a sheep following the herd towards whatever thing everyone in society says you must have, whether it be a career or cards or clothes or anything to keep up with the Joneses because this is where your focus, your energy, if if that's where it all goes, you're not gonna be happy. The American dream isn't really a dream, but a nightmare for those that base their life and their worth on this thing, this material thing, this theoretical idea that isn't real and it cannot satisfy you wonder so many are disillusioned by the American dream. As in the readings of Augustine, he explains to us that it's a rigged game. It's a rigged game because that goal is, it, it can't satisfy you. It's fake. It's a facade. So get off that rat wheel. Whoa. Okay. So there you have it. Augustine, the American dream. I hope this gives you something to think about. Now I know, Something to think about, and maybe just maybe it'll inspire you to go way deeper into Augustine than, than I do in our short talk. Uh, but if you go to the link in the show notes and go to the Substack page, I actually have a free, yes, 100% free link to credible online sources that will allow you to read deeply and thoroughly and all these texts of Augustine. To so I hope you will subscribe to that Substack page, and I hope you will So with that, thank you again, everyone. Episode 100 is now in the books and I appreciate you listening and I look forward to talking.